Chapter Four. The entrance to the Yerk Pool. I echoed. Where? How? I looked around at the others to see their reactions. See, we had already invaded the Yerk Pool in an effort to save Jake's brother, Tom. Not a happy memory. I saw Cassie shudder. Axe is the only one who wasn't there for a little vacation in the Yerk Pool, Marco said. As the rest of you know, the Yerk Pool is a huge underground cavern. It's practically a small city down there. It's under our school, but it's so big that it also runs beneath the fire station, a couple gas stations, and most of the mall. Axe nodded. Yerk pools are generally large and elaborate. They are an important part of Yerk life. The centers of their lives, really. The pools are, for the Yerks, what forests and meadows are to Andalites. Tobias and I have been working out a pattern of surveillance, Marco went on. For the last week, we've been following our very favorite human controller, Assistant Principal Chapman, everywhere we can. Tobias checks him from the air, then I follow him when he goes into a building. Why didn't you let the rest of us in on this? I demanded. Marco shrugged. It was a two-person job, that's all. Jake looked as annoyed as I felt. Then I realized why Marco had kept this quiet. Jake had just been through the terrifying ordeal of being infested by a yerk. For three days, he had been a human controller, a prisoner of his own body. Marco had been letting him rest. So, I asked a little more patiently. So what? Marco answered. So where's the entrance to the yerk pool? Duh. Well. I was hoping to amaze and entertain you all with the whole story of our brilliant detective work, but the short answer is, in a dressing room at the Gap, in the mall. That's the entrance. People go in, looking like they're going to try on clothes, and they never come out. At least they don't come out through the Gap, Tobias added. They come out through the movie theater. When the crowd leaves the movies at the end of the show, there are always more people leaving than went in. In through the gap, out through the multiplex. Marco laughed. Are these yerks on top of popular American culture or what? Good job, Jake admitted grudgingly. The question is, now what do we do? Attack, Axe said instantly. We tried that once, Cassie said quietly. We didn't exactly win. There were dozens of Hork-Bajir and Taxons down there. And human controllers. And he was there. Visser 3. That's when Tobias was trapped in a morph. Like I said, we didn't exactly win. We got hammered, I agreed. Axe, you know I'm usually all for going on the attack, but the York pool is just too big. A warrior is judged by the power of his enemies, Axe said stubbornly but he didn't sound quite as enthusiastic anymore. Attacking the York Pool is out, I muttered, but an idea was occurring to me. Hey, Axe, what can you tell us about the Kendrona? He swiveled his head toward me, while his stock eyes turned slowly this way and that, searching the woods for trouble. The Kendrona is a miniature version of the York's home sun. 
It emits chondrona rays, which concentrate in the yerk pools. It is what nourishes the yerks. That is why the yerks must swim in their natural state in the yerk pool every three days. They need chondrona rays. So their real weakness is not the pool itself, but this chondrona, I said, this miniature sun. But the chondrona may be many miles away from the yerk pool, Axe explained. The chondrona rays may be beamed to the pool from almost anywhere. So although I am in favor of attacking the yerk pool, we should not do it expecting to find the chondrona there. I agree, I said. But what if we didn't attack the yerk pool? What if we just spied it out? We might find out where the chondrona is. Marco laughed. That's more like the Rachel I know. You were starting to worry me there. You were sounding so sensible. How big is the chondrona? Jake wondered. It would depend on how many pools it has to support. It might be as large as Cassie's barn. It might be the size of one of your human cars. The size of a car? Surely a bunch of all-American kids like us could manage to wreck a car, Marco joked. How much would it hurt the Yerks? I asked. That's the question. Is it worth running the risk of going down there again? Down to the Yerk pool? We all looked at Axe. It would depend. If they have a spare chondrona, it wouldn't hurt them very much. In any case, they would have one aboard their mothership, so we would not wipe them out entirely. We all sagged with disappointment. However, it would not be practical for the Yurks to shuttle their human controllers back and forth to the mothership to keep them alive. So what would they do? Marco wondered. How would Visser 3 react? Visser 3 is totally ruthless, I said. He would save as many as he could, but he'd have to let the rest die. Yes, Axe agreed. It would be a very serious blow. They would survive, but they would be weakened. We'd have to find this Kendrona thing first, Cassie reminded everyone. And wherever it is, it will be guarded. Right then. I guess we all realized we were going to do it. We were going back to the Yurk Pool. Jake shook his head slowly. Down to the Yurk Pool again. I still have nightmares about the first time. Yeah, Marco agreed. Done that. The Yurk Pool, Cassie said grimly and looked away. I didn't say anything. I don't like talking about nightmares, but I had them too. They were pretty bad. I am not very good at understanding human emotion, Axe said. But you all seem afraid, and your fear is beginning to scare me. Good, I said. I don't know if you analytes believe in places like heaven and hell, but let me just tell you, the York pool is definitely not heaven. Chapter 5 What's for dinner? I asked my mom as soon as I got home. The walk in the woods had made me hungry. Being outdoors always does that to me. So does fear. I just kept picturing the yerk pool. The cages full of involuntary hosts. Humans and hork temporarily free of their yerk parasites. I kept hearing them. Crying. That's what most of them did while they waited to be reinfested. Others screamed. 
Some begged for mercy. Or worse. My mom was standing by the kitchen counter. She was more dressed up than she usually was in the evening. She was munching nervously on some Doritos and kind of staring off into space. Mom? Hello? She looked like she hadn't noticed me. Oh, hi, honey. What's for dinner? I'm starving. Your father is coming over tonight. For dinner. He said he would pick something up. I felt my stomach clench. Something was wrong. Since the divorce, my dad never came over for dinner. My two sisters and I spent one weekend a month overnight at his apartment in the city, plus the every-other-weekend outing, but he did not come over for dinner. I wasn't hungry anymore. What's going on? I demanded. My mother got this worried look on her face, which she tried to hide. Your father has something he wants to tell you girls. He was supposed to tell you the other night at the circus. I guess he forgot. The way she said, I guess he forgot, made it clear she didn't think that was the truth. I took my mother's arm. Mom, I don't like suspense, alright? So just... The doorbell rang. I heard Sarah running down the stairs. I heard Jordan yell, Stop running on the stairs! You'll break your neck! She sounded just like my mother. It almost made my mom and me smile. That was your father. I went to the front room. Sarah was leaping into my dad's arms, and Jordan was hovering a couple feet away. Jordan shot a quick, questioning glance at me. Unlike Sarah, Jordan was old enough to realize something was up. I shrugged and shook my head. Rachel, my dad said. How's my girl? Come take this bag from me. Thai food. We have curry. We have pad thai. We have chicken satay. We have those imperial, heavenly, whatever they call them, shrimp. He handed me the paper bag. He was being too cheerful. My father's a reporter for one of the local TV channels. He does a lot of investigative journalism. Plus, he anchors the news on Saturday and Sunday. So he's always wearing nice clothes, always has great hair, and looks tan even in the total depths of winter. I took the bag into the dining room table and started to unpack the little white boxes of Thai food. Hello, Dan, my mother said, coming into the room with plates and silverware. Naomi, he answered. How have you been? By now, even Sarah had figured out this was not going to be a happy evening. We ate a little and struggled along with some small talk about nothing, until finally my mom said, Dan, just get it over with. My dad looked embarrassed. He sent me a sheepish smile, like some little boy caught doing something wrong. Okay, he said. He cleared his throat. He sat up straight in his chair, just as if he were waiting for the cameras to come on so he could do the evening news. Kids, I have something I have to tell you about. I have been offered a job. A better job. I wouldn't just be the weekend anchor. I would have the top spot. I'd be anchoring the 6 o'clock broadcast and the 11 o'clock, and I'd get to do specials. Maybe do some really important work. Jordan looked at me, confused. It sounded like good news. There's just one problem, my father said. It's not here in town. In fact, it would mean I would have to move. 
Where to? Sarah asked. To another apartment? He forced a smile. To another city, sweetie, in another state. A thousand miles away, my mother said. You know, it's funny how the mind works. See, I've been through more bad things, more terror, more worry, more pain since I became an anamorph than most people deal with in a lifetime. I would have thought I could handle something like my dad moving away. A thousand miles away. Congratulations, I said, trying not to show any emotion. It's what you've always wanted. My dad wasn't fooled. He knew I was upset. It's the job, Rachel. It's the way it is. It's not like I won't see you kids. I know it sounds like a long way and all, but that's why we have jets, right? Yeah, I said. That's why we have jets. I think I'll go upstairs and do some homework now. Wait, I need to... My dad protested. I didn't slam any doors. I didn't throw anything. I just left. Let him feel what it's like, I told myself. Let him feel what it's like to have someone just walk away. I went up to my room and locked the door behind me. I couldn't breathe. I kept clenching my fists and wanting to pound something. I think I would have cried, but I was just too angry. Rachel? It was him. He knocked lightly on my door. Can I come in? I couldn't say no. It would have sounded like I was upset. Sure, why not? He came in. I'm guessing you're a little upset, he said. I shrugged and turned my back to him. I see. Rachel, you didn't let me finish what I had to tell you downstairs. Rachel, Jordan and Sarah are still too young to consider this. But you're older. You can look after yourself when I have to work late. They can't. And, anyway, look, the thing is, I've talked to your mother about this, and she's not happy about it, but she says it's up to you. I turned to look at him. What's up to me? He smiled uncertainly. Well, it's like this. Carla Belnikov teaches in the city I'm moving to. You know, she takes in three or four promising gymnastics students every year. If you wanted... Well, it would be the best thing in the world, as far as I'm concerned, if you came to live with me. I almost asked him to repeat it. I couldn't believe I had heard right the first time. Students of Coach Belnikov had won two gold medals and a bunch of silver ones. Dad, Carla Belnikov isn't going to take me on as a student. She handles professional-level gymnasts. I'm too tall and not good enough to... Besides, you're saying I should move out? Leave Mom and Sarah and Jordan? You're the only one who can decide that, my dad said. But as for Coach Belnikov, you're wrong. You have the talent. I know. If that's something you wanted to do, if you want to make that your life, you could go places in gymnastics. I shook my head. Not to say no, just to try and clear out the confusion. Dad, are you asking me to go with you when you move? Yes. I know it would be hard on you and your mom and your sisters, but we could make it work. I mean, this job pays a lot of money. 
You could fly back here anytime you wanted. Every week, if you wanted. Was he serious? It sounded ridiculous. Was he actually serious? I sat down on the edge of my bed. My thoughts were everywhere all at once. Leave? Leave my mom and my sisters? This was just because my dad felt guilty. He felt bad about leaving. This was about pity. He felt sorry for me or something. And I know it would mean changing schools, he said. But, gee, Rachel, I think it could be okay, you know? I mean, for one thing, they have serious mountains there. We could do some rock climbing together on weekends. Go hiking. And it's a huge sports town. I need someone to go with me to the games. It would be like in the old days. Then he winked. And hey, it's a much bigger city, so think of all the shopping. No, it wasn't pity or guilt, I realized. At least not completely. I think my dad was feeling lonely. He was picturing himself lonely in the new town. Oh man, I said. I don't know what to say. My dad nodded his head. Don't decide now. I wouldn't want you to. Talk to your mom. And Jordan and Sarah, too. You think about it. I just... You know, I've just missed you, sweetheart. We have fun trash-talking the umpires at games, don't we? And hiking? Remember that time we got lost? Of course I remember, I said. I just... I just have to think it over, you know. I wanted to say, Dad, you don't understand. It isn't just about Mom and Sarah and Jordan. I have a date, Dad, to go back to the yerk pool. My friends are counting on me. See, I'm supposed to be Xena, warrior princess. I'm supposed to go back down there, down into the last place on earth I want to go. I have to think it over, I repeated. Yeah, anyway, I'm gonna go now. Okay, Dad, I said. I love you, Rachel. I wish he hadn't said that. I was doing fine till he said that, and then the tears started. After my dad left, I talked to my mom. She said what I expected. She wanted me to stay, but that it was up to me. She trusted me to think it through. Up to me. Great. I could hurt my mom and my sisters, or I could hurt my dad. Perfect. Isn't divorce fun? After I went to bed, I just lay there, staring up at the ceiling. My brain kept churning like a computer you can't turn off. Too many things to think about. My dad. My mom. And the big, huge, massive thing I didn't even want to start thinking about. My friends. The Animorphs. The war against the Yurks. Finally, I knew I just had to get out of there. I needed air and open spaces. The walls were just way too close around me. I climbed out of bed and opened my window all the way. I changed from the t-shirt I sleep in to the black leotard I usually wore under my clothes. My morphing outfit. I couldn't think about it anymore. I just needed some space to not think about my father. Not think about choices. I focused my mind. I concentrated. Just some time to think, I told myself. 
as my fingers became feathers and my toes curled into talons. I guess every kid has times he just wants to get away, but I had the power to do it. I could even get away from myself. I launched myself into the night. Chapter 6 I flew in absolute silence. The wind rushing over the top of my wings never ruffled a feather. The moon was low on the horizon, just a sliver. High clouds blocked the starlight. The grassy field just a few feet below me would have been black and featureless to human eyes. But I was not looking through human eyes. My eyes were so large they nearly filled my head. They looked through the darkness like it was noon on a sunny day. I could see individual blades of grass. I could see the ants crawling beneath the grass. My hearing was so acute I could hear a mouse step on a twig from 75 feet away. I could hear the beating wings of a sparrow that was flitting from tree to tree. I had morphed into a great horned owl. The night killer. The predator of darkness. I flew lower still, closer to the ground, letting the owl's mind search out prey. Here, a mouse. There, a shrew. There, a vole. And all the many little birds. They were all meat to the owl. I could descend, silent and deadly, on a rat or rabbit, spread my talons wide, and strike. I could squeeze my talons until they burst the skulls of my prey and... No. No, I told myself. I was not Tobias. He had no choice but to be a predator. I had a choice. Like my father had a choice. He could just not move. And then I wouldn't have to make this awful decision. If he knew, if he knew everything, he wouldn't do this. He would understand that I was part of the battle to help save Earth. But I couldn't tell him. Not even my dad. He could be one of them. That's what knowing about the Yurks does to you. You look at everyone and wonder what's living inside their brains. Even though I felt like somehow I would just know if my dad were a controller. I guess I've always had a close relationship with my dad. Right from the start, going back as far as I can remember, we were always doing stuff together. I mean, I have this photograph of me when I was three years old, standing on a balance beam with my dad holding me up and grinning at the camera. I love that picture, even though I look lame in the outfit I had on. I keep it on my desk in my room. When my mom was pregnant with my little sister Sarah, I overheard my parents talking. My mom was saying maybe this time she would have a boy. I know you've always wanted a boy, she told my dad. Oh, come on, he answered. That was years ago. I thought I had to have a boy to do all the fun dad stuff with. But I have Rachel. She's as good as any boy. She's already tougher than most boys her age. Have you seen the vaults she can do? My mom groaned. Don't let her ever hear you say that. Little girls do not want to be told they are as good as a boy. But she was wrong. I know it was sexist and all, but I just thought it was great. My dad thought I was as tough as any boy. Cool. If only he knew what I was doing now, I thought. How could he expect me to make this decision? I couldn't leave my friends. I couldn't. They were counting on me. We were going back to the York pool, and they were counting on me to be brave and strong. That's what they thought I was. 
But if I was so brave and so strong, why was I suddenly imagining a very different life, a long, long way from the war with the Yurks? Why was I imagining a life of gymnastics classes and ball games with my dad? A place where I was just a person? Where no one could expect me to go back down into that hell of screams and despair called the Yurk Pool? If I was so brave and so tough, why was I imagining a normal life? Hello, Phantomorphs, and thank you for listening to another episode of Audiomorphs, the Animorphs Auditory Experience. It's your host, Daniel. So thank you for listening to another episode here. If you want to hear more episodes, you can do that at audiomorphs.podbean.com or by searching Audiomorphs on iTunes. And speaking of iTunes, iTunes is a place where you can subscribe and rate and leave a review. Speaking of reviews, I did check, and I do have another one. This is from Jonathan M. He writes, Keep up the great job. Daniel, I came across your podcast after searching all over for an audio reading of Animorphs. I work a job that is extremely hard, where I do a bunch of physical work. Your podcast has been so much fun to listen to, and makes the day go by more smoothly. I like that you change voices to distinguish between each character. It makes it easier to follow along. Please keep up the good work. Uh, Thank you, Jonathan M., John M., uh, however you go by. Uh, I really appreciate that. I'm glad that it makes your shifts go by faster. Uh, Speaking of Johns, also, here's a little little insight to me. Uh, I am not someone who uses reddit that's not really my scene but i signed up for an account to upvote something my friend asked me to and i was like hey uh as long as i have a as long as i have a reddit uh handle account i don't know what they're called uh let me let me head over to the the animorph subreddit uh that i found when i first started this project when i was searching to see if anyone else was doing this incredibly dumb idea um, and I'll go and I'll just plug my podcast. Well, imagine my surprise when number one fan, my main guy, John from Boston, was already on the scene, already plugging this podcast. So much love to you, John. Uh, you're killing it, sending me reviews and messages and and telling people about this podcast. You are number one fan. I love you. Also, one one last thing, um, speaking of telling people about this podcast, I did that on another podcast after I did the main part of the podcast. Uh, I guested once again on Alphabet Flights, which you can find on Shout Engine by searching Alphabet Flights. The, uh, the Marvel Encyclopedia review show, I guess, we review things. Um, yeah, but I guessed it again, did another couple of episodes there uh, with Jesse, a lot of fun still. Those should be coming up in a couple of weeks. Coming out, excuse me, coming out in a couple of weeks. I'm a little sleepy right now. Um, so be sure to check those out. We talked about a lot of masters. Masters of the world and of minds and of many sorts of different masters. If you'd like to reach out to me and discuss masters or anamorphs or just say hi, you can do that at audiomorphscast.tumblr.com or audiomorphscast at gmail.com. 
That is all I have for you this week, so I will see you all next week. My name is Daniel, and I believe one day the Andalites will come. Until then, we fight.